today. So if you've got your Bibles, open it up to the book of 2 Kings and get ready. 2 Kings chapter 2. We're not going to read anything yet, but I just want you to get ready. Um, I know you guys have probably heard of this fighting group called the Navy SEALs. They're an elite military group. And while I was at the house, you know, quarantined up this week, I was doing some reading on them. And it's just, they are just one of the most elite fighting squads in the world. But I noticed that the process of becoming a Navy SEAL is incredibly difficult. Like any Joe off the street just can't walk in and do it. And even some of the elite uh, soldiers in the world don't have what it takes to make it to the end of the training to become a Navy SEAL. And what's neat is, like, they start the pipeline of training and becoming a Navy SEAL. Like, you start with um, being enlisted in the force, and then you go through this application process to qualify to even go through initial testing to go through training to be a Navy SEAL. And they see a pretty high washout rate just in those initial testings and qualifications before you even go to BUD school. Um, BUD school itself is where you go for the real practical, hands-on, just hardcore training that you're going to get as a Navy SEAL. The dropout rate in BUD school is right now sitting at about 75%. 75% of the people that make it to BUD school drop out. But then you've got a dropout rate that happens before they get to bud school. Overall, the attrition rate or the dropout rate of someone starting at the beginning of the process of becoming a Navy SEAL and going all the way through training, listen, the people that make it through all the way, just 12% of the people that start the entire process make it through to the other side. And I was reading that, and I thought, wow, that is, that's incredible. It's because Navy SEAL training is some of the most brutal and difficult training that you're ever going to see in the military. In fact, like the, the death rate of people going through the training process of becoming a Navy SEAL, there is a higher death rate of SEALs in training than there actually is the death rate of SEALs out in active operations serving in the military. More people have died in training than in service to their country. That's insane. That's how difficult the training is. And when you get all the way through to bud school, one of the reasons why it's incredibly difficult isn't so much the, the physical training that you're going to go through. Okay? It's not so much um, the, the skills that they're going to try to give you and how hard they're going to push you. That's a big factor in it. But they know that you're there ready to go through bud school because you have what it takes in raw form to be a Navy SEAL. You've got the skills. You've got the talent already or you wouldn't be there. Their job is to do two things. One, to refine that skill set and give you the tools that you need to be that seal on the other side of it. And two, and really more importantly in their mind, is to try to get you to quit. From day one, the instructors are going to try to get you to quit. They're going to walk you over to a bell, and they're going to tell you, all you have to do to stop the training, to stop all the hurt, to stop all the pain, all you have to do to get a warm shower and a hot meal and a nice bed and then a ticket home to comfort is to ring that bell and tap out. Their goal, while you're going through this process of training, 
broken up into three seven-week sections. Their goal is to push every mental and emotional button they possibly can to get you to give up and to get you to quit. They're going to try to get inside your head. They're going to try to pull every heartstring and emotional string they possibly can to get you frustrated, aggravated, and to the point where you're just ready to give up because you don't think you can make it. Their job isn't to cheer you along. Their job is to try to make you quit. And most people on the first day say, I'm here, there's no way I'm going to quit. But there's a 75% dropout rate from day one through the end of the training. Isn't that crazy? All the people that say, I can make it, I can do it, I'm here, let's go through with it. At some point, they hit a place where they can't go any further. And that sounds like it might be simple to push through, like for you and for me on the outside looking in, but when every muscle in your body is screaming because, of, because it's been overworked and underrested, when every joint in your body is hurting, when you're in a mild hypothermic state because you're out in the cold and you're soaking wet, when you've got sand rubbing in places that aren't supposed to be rubbed in, you know, and you're discovering parts of your body that you never knew existed, when all of that is happening and you're physically and emotionally and mentally drained and you've got a guy right in front of you and says, all you have to do is ring that bell and quit, they're begging you to quit because they know what's going to get you through on the other side isn't going to be the skill or the talent. They can give you the skills. They can, they can, they can enhance and, and, and refine the talent that's on the, on the inside of you. But what they can't put in you is that will to push on. So they want to find out if you got that on the inside of you. So they're going to set everything up so that it's not the people with the skills that get through to the other side. It's not the people with the talent that get through to the other side. But it's the people that have that switch on the inside of them that will not cut off. They're the ones that they're looking for because when it counts the most, they want to know that they've got people in uniform that are not going to give up, that they're going to do everything within their power while there's breath in their body to accomplish the mission that they've been given. Isn't that something? They want to try to get you to quit because they know that it's only the people that can push through in those moments when they want to quit that can make the most impact. And if you look at different training arenas and even in uh, martial arts, and there, there's some element of that in there where they want to see if you actually have the desire to do what you say you want to do. They want to see if you want to follow through with it. They want to see if you're there just because it's cool to be there or if you're there because you're serious about it and you're going to put in the time it takes to become good at what you say you want to do. You know, so there's a line between people that have that inside of them to push through and those that don't. And I found in my life that the majority of the people that I've come into contact with at some point in their life have hit a place where they wanted to tap out. And it's in those moments where you're going to find out what you're made of on the inside, whether you've got what it takes to push through and go to the other side, or if you're going to be like some of the faceless millions that no one knows about that gave up and walked away because the price was too high to pay. Now, we're going to dive into the Bible and look at 
a scenario that's happening in the life of Elijah and his protege, uh, Elijah, or Elisha. See, I got it wrong. I think God put those names so close together. So I said this last week, so preachers like me could jack it up when we're saying it so he could keep us humble. Um, I don't know why their names are so close to the same, to the same other than that. But uh, Elijah's walking Elisha through this process that if you don't really know what's going on, can seem kind of confusing. I want to read you through this, 2 Kings chapter 2, starting at verse 1. We're going to read for a little bit, so stay with me, okay? It says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now I want to pause here for a second and just kind of dig into what's happening here. Because what Elijah is doing is kind of like what the Navy SEAL instructors want to do to the people in Bud school. Okay, he is trying to get Elisha to quit. Okay, it's not like he's saying, I want you to stay here and wait for me while I go ahead of you. And then I'm going to come back and get you. When Elijah's talking to Elisha here, he's telling him, stay here. You're not going to go any further. This is the end of your journey. It's done for you here. I'm going to continue on. This is a big deal. And this is why Elisha made such a big fuss. This is why he says, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, that's not going to work that way. Uh, As long as the Lord's still alive and as long as you're still alive, I'm not going to leave you. Okay? Because... To be an apprentice to a prophet, okay, means that you are, you are indentured, you are connected, you are in servitude, you are in service to that prophet as long as that guy is alive. To be separated from that prophet is to be separated from your calling, okay? And Elisha says, no, listen, I signed up for the long haul on this. You're not going to get me to quit right now. I made a promise to God. I made a promise to you. I burned my plow. I killed my oxen. I already cut off all ties to my family. I left no way back. I'm committed to follow through on what God has called me to do. I'm moving forward in this. You're not going to talk me out of following with you. That's what's happening here, okay? That's what's going on in this exchange. And the company of prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha. And asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. I wonder if he really said it like that. Or if that's like one of those real polite interpretations in scripture. And the prophets were like, hey, Elijah, you know your boy's going to be gone today. And he's like, yeah, I know, shut up, you know, something like that. But I don't know how people talked back then. But so the, the company of prophets say that to Elisha. Elisha says, yeah, I know. Then look what happens. Again, Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. Again, Elijah's trying to get Elisha to stay behind. Elisha does the same thing. He replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. So again, Elijah's trying to get him to stay. Elisha says, no way, I'm following with you. So Elijah lets him follow. And they get to Jericho, and the company of prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. 
the Lord has sent me to Jordan. Now, this is starting to look like Groundhog Day. Like Elijah is going to these different places and Elisha's going with him. And Elijah's saying the same thing at every location. Elijah's replying in the same way at every location. And here comes this bunch of prophets saying the same thing over and over and over again. It's like they're just caught in this cycle over and over. Like Groundhog Day, this stuff is going on. Fifty men from the company of prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. And Elijah took his cloak rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Now it's changing. Now we've got something different going on here. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken? Something changes in Elijah's approach. And he sees that Elisha is not going to be the guy that quits. That Elisha is going to follow through on his commitment and do what he said he was going to do. And because he had proven that and he couldn't get him to stop, Elijah said, all right, now I see that you're the real deal. What can I do for you before I'm taken out of here? And I was reading and studying this and it kind of struck me as I was preparing for this message. And maybe you've realized this or maybe you hadn't, but... Elisha wasn't the first servant that Elijah had. Like Elisha wasn't the first protege that Elijah had. Because to be the servant of the prophet meant that you were picked to be his protege, like a disciple in a way. And that he was training you to replace him when he was gone. And he was preparing you for your ministry after he had left. And Elisha isn't the first one that Elijah had worked with. I wonder if any of you can tell me the name of the first servant or the first, the first protege that Elijah had. Can any of you tell me his name? Let me show you why. 1 Kings chapter 19, starting at verse 3. This is right after Jezebel. Jezebel had threatened Elijah and threatened to kill him, and Elijah took off running. Okay? Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, look what happened here. He left his servant there. Now, the same scenario, I'm, I'm kind of inferring a little bit, from, but from what you can read, though, you're seeing the same thing play out. Elijah has a servant. He has someone committed to following. He has someone who's there, who's supposed to be there to the end as a disciple, as a protege, because that's what a servant to a prophet was in that time. And Elijah says, stay here, and the servant stayed. He stayed. He tapped out. To be divorced from the prophet is to be divorced from your calling. And to give up following the prophet is to give up on your calling in that time. And that's what that servant did. He walked away from it all because times were hard. And Elijah 
told him to stay, and he stayed. He tapped out. Elisha didn't do that. The reason why you've never heard of this guy is because he quit. He quit. Hey, I got news for you guys. You can't finish a race that you stop running. You can't finish a race that you stop running. That's what happened with this prophet. He stopped running the race. The difference in Elisha was he didn't stop running the race. There are going to be times in your life where you're going to be tempted to stop running the race that God's put out in front of you. You're going to be tempted to give up on the calling that he's placed in your life. You're going to be tempted to tap out because the situation and the circumstances are a little bit too hard for you. I want you to remember, though, you can't finish a race. You've stopped running. Okay? It's not about how fast you run the race. It's not about how slow you run the race. It's about whether or not you finish the race that God has set before you. I want to encourage you this morning to finish the race that God has set out in front of you. Now think about it. Throughout all of history, I wonder how many people there are that we've never heard of because they gave up. I wonder how many inventions went to the grave because the inventor gave up before they finally found the right way to make it work. I wonder how many cures for how many diseases we don't have right now because the person with the idea gave up in the process. How many businesses we don't have. You could just go on and on forever but history is full of people that we'll never know because they gave up in critical times and didn't finish the race on their calling, didn't finish the race on their profession. They didn't finish the race on their marriage, on their children, on, on whatever the task was that God had called them to be. Just think about that. I wonder how many people were out there. And then I wonder if maybe you're in a place where you're fighting the battle of becoming one of those people right now because of what's going on in your life because of what's going on in the world. I want to encourage you not to give up, but to keep running the race that God has set out before you. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul's writing, in, and he breaks it down like this. He says in verse 7, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? You were doing a good job. What happened? What happened? Because it's the things that happen to us, the things that happen to us that trip us up in that race and get us to want to quit. I want to encourage you not to give up because there are people that are counting on you on the other side to finish the race that you're running right now. I want you to stop for a second and I want you to consider the fact that it's not all about you. Okay? Maybe, maybe it's not all about you. Maybe it's about the people that God wants to impact and change through you. Maybe it's that thing, that idea, that gift, that talent that he's going to use to bless other people. And if you give up now, it's not just about you giving up. It's all those other people, all those other lives that could be impacted, all those other, all those other people that could be impacted for eternity. They hang in the balance because the people that you're going to reach tomorrow are depending on what you are going to do today. So if you're in the middle of a struggle 
and you're in the middle of this time where, you, where you're thinking about tapping out, you're thinking about giving up. Listen, don't give up. Don't turn away. Don't give up on this race that God has called you to, okay? Because he is more than able to equip you to finish it if you'll just give him the chance. And I want to walk you through a couple of things that have really helped me personally over the years and staying at least fairly consistent. Like, I haven't been perfect in my walk with God. I've messed up just like everybody else, and I've failed at times in my life. And Lord knows I've made a lot of mistakes, you know. But I've, along the way, probably like many of you, I've found some things that have helped me, and hopefully they'll help you if you're going through a time in your life right now where things just don't look good and you're up against the wall and you're getting, you're getting pushed beyond your comfort zone and you're, you're, you're being strained into places that are not comfortable and not familiar with, to you right now. Maybe this will help you in those times. Um, for me, this helps me. Hopefully, it'll help you. First thing is this. Your why has to be bigger than the opposition. Your why has to be bigger than that opposition that you're going to face. And when I say why, I'm talking about that reason. Okay? That, that reason, that motivation has got to be bigger than the opposition that you're going to face. That why has to be big enough to push you through the pain. That why has to be big enough to get you up early in the morning. That why has got to be bigger than the opposition that you're going to face. Because I promise you this, opposition's out there and you're going to face it. You're going to face it. And a lot of us are facing opposition in new ways. And some of us are facing opposition in battles that we, we've been dealing with for years and years. Battles with our health, battle with finances, battles in relationships and in our marriage. And, and just spiritual battles with ourselves because we're falling into sin again and again and again. When we face that opposition, the why inside of us has got to be bigger than the opposition that we're going to face. You're going to get up tomorrow morning, probably a lot of you, when you don't want to. And a lot of us are going to go to jobs that we really don't want to go to work tomorrow. Not just because we don't want to go work at those jobs, but because there's this whole threat of a global pandemic out there that puts us at risk when we go out there. Okay? But you're going to get up and you're going to go to work because the why that's motivating you to do it is bigger than the opposition and the risk that you're going to face. Now, it doesn't mean that the risk isn't there or the opposition isn't there. And it might not mean that you're not a little bit nervous or maybe a little bit apprehensive about getting out in that situation. It means, though, that the why is bigger than the opposition because probably you've got a wife depending on you or you've got some children depending on you or you're a single mom and you're the only source of income for your household and they're looking to you to provide. And the why, that why is big enough for you to press forward in the middle of the risk. First responders out there and people working in the medical community, you are putting your health and your life at risk right now. Let me tell you, thank you. Thank you so much for what you're doing to serve our communities, to serve our country, to serve these people that are that are sick with this virus right now, thank you for what you're doing, but you're putting your life and your health 
at risk because there's a why on the inside of you that's bigger than the risk of exposure to that virus and treating other people. The why is because you want to save lives. The why is because you want to help people. The why is because you want to send a father home to his family. You want to send a mother home to her children. You want to send a child back to her parents. You want to make sure that the grandmother and the grandfather have many more years to spend with their family. You're putting yourself at risk because to you, the why is bigger than the opposition that you're facing. And that's how it works, guys. You've got to have a bigger why than the challenges that you're facing because when they come, when the pain kicks in, you're able to say, yeah, I see what it's going to cost me. I see the price that I'm going to have to pay, but I'm willing to pay the price because the why inside of me is worth it. That's why people tap out, because they're not willing to pay the price necessary to purchase their dreams or the calling on their lives. So you got to decide it's worth paying whatever the price is, whatever the cost is. And when you make that decision and you establish that why, it becomes a whole lot easier to deal with the issues and the opposition that you face in your life. Nobody's exempt from this, by the way. We're all going to face moments in our lives where we have to make a decision whether or not what we're doing is worth what we're fixing to have to go through. Everybody's going to have to make that decision, probably more than once, more than twice in our lives. We're going to be brought down to a point of decision, and we're going to have to choose. Even Jesus wasn't exempt from this. Jesus had to go to a place in his life where he came to a point of decision, where he had to decide whether or not what he was fixing to have to go through was worth it. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he went with the disciples. And I love this story because he goes there to pray before he's betrayed, before he's tortured, before he's crucified. He goes there to pray and settle this issue within himself. And he leaves some of his disciples to pray and he takes those closest to him a little bit further into the garden and then he leaves them behind. And Jesus goes to a place of isolation alone in the garden of Gethsemane and he begins to cry out to his father. And the reason why is because every time you come to the place where you've got to make that kind of a life-changing decision, that kind of decision where you decide if that why inside of you personally is going to be worth the price that you're fixing to have to pay, that's a decision you've got to make on your own. Nobody else is going to be able to make that decision for you. Nobody else is going to be able to applaud you or cheer you along because you're going to reach a point where you've got to decide personally for you, if it's going to be worth it. And Jesus had to hit that place. He began to cry out and began to wrestle with, his, with himself. And he, he, if you read it, you see he asked, he asked his father, he asked God, he said, Father, if there's any way, if there's any other way to make this happen, if there's any other way for this to take place, will you please let this cup pass from me? Because he was thinking about how he was fixing to be betrayed. He knew he was fixing to be beaten. He knew his beard was fixing to be ripped out. He knew he was about to be whipped with a cat of nine tails and it was going to rip chunks of meat and muscle off of his body until there was nothing left of his back and his organs were exposed. He knew he was going to be abused. He knew he was going to have to hang naked on a cross with spikes driven through his his wrists and his hands. He knew he was going to be tortured to death. And he was at a place where he was wrestling with whether or not 
the price he was fixing to have to pay was going to be worth it. And he had to decide if the why, the mission, the reason was going to be worth what he was fixing to have to go through. And I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that he chose the fact that I was worth it and that you were worth it, that it was worth it all. And he gladly paid that price. Look, if you will, in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, this just kind of brings it to further light. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Look at this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He had to make that choice, and he decided that we were worth it. I'm so grateful for that. Listen, you might be going through some stuff right now and you feel like you have no worth at all. You might feel like you've blown it and you're just at a place in life where you are absolutely useless. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus looked through time and he saw you and he decided that you were worth the pain that he was going to have to go through. That once and for all, he was going to shed his blood for you to set you free from your past, to set you free from the hurt, to set you free from the sin, to set you free so that you can be a new creation in him. He decided that you were the why that was worth everything that he went through. And I'm here to tell you, if you want to make it in life and if you want to push through to the other side and if you want to do what God has called you to do in those moments where you want to quit, in those moments of opposition, you've got to decide that the why inside of you, that call inside of you is worth what you're fixing to have to go through. And if you'll settle that, you'll be able to push through it. The second thing I want to share with you is this, that in dealing with tough times, you got to learn how to step out of your strength and into God's power. You have to learn how to step out of your strength and into God's power. And there's a difference between the two. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm like, I like to be real self-reliant and real independent. I don't like to ask for help at all. If I ask you for help, it's because I've jacked stuff up pretty bad and I'm in a spot where I just, I got no other option. You know, <laughs> that's, that's just me. Um, and probably some of you guys out there are just like that. But people burn out in life. People burn out in ministry. People burn out trying to accomplish God's call on their lives when they try to do things in their own strength instead of relying on God's power to see them through. And they become more driven in life than they are led by the Spirit of God in life. You've got to be careful with that. You've got to be careful with that. You've got to be at a place where you are in constant dependence on the power of God because you'll burn out. And what's crazy is that like, there are times, though, even dependent on God and even in a solid relationship with him where you'll get pushed past a place of comfort into unknown territory, into situations where you just got to step out in blind faith, past your threshold, past what you're capable of doing, past the point of exhaustion, you know, it's, it's one thing to be physically exhausted, but it's another thing when you're physically and then you're mentally and you're emotionally exhausted. 
You know, because while we're still doing things for God, we're still in a very limited body. And the body can only do so much. And sometimes you hit seasons of your life and doing what God's called you to do or doing what he's gifted you to do where you just have nothing left in the tank even though you're close to him and your relationship with him. Now, I can hear some of you out there right now kind of pushing back on this, and I get where you're coming from because you're going to say, well, if you're close to God and you're in his strength daily and he's renewing you daily, then you should never be at a place where you burn out because he's constantly refueling you. He's constantly renewing you along the way so that you don't deplete what he's putting inside of you. And I get that. And listen, uh, for the most part, that is the case. That is the case. I think people burn out a lot because they try to do stuff on their own and not rely on God. But there are seasons, and this is what I'm talking about more specifically. There are seasons in your life where God is going to put you in a place where if you don't tap into another level of dependence and trust and reliance on him, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. it. It's weird. I know a lot of people will say that God won't allow us to have more put on us than we can carry. But that's not what the Bible says. A lot of people misinterpret that. That's not what the Bible says at all. What the Bible says is that God won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. Okay? It doesn't say anything about having more life, more bills, more drama, more family issues, more marriage issues, more work issues, more pressure, more financial problems, more, more health issues, more disease. It doesn't say anything about having more of that put on us than we can bear. There's plenty of that out there. And you'll get overloaded with it if you're not careful. And there'll be seasons in your life where you're trying to do what God's called you to do, trusting him, and you'll find yourself at the brink, just at the brink of wanting to quit because there's nothing left in your tank that's left to give. Now, only the seasoned saints out there are going to understand what I'm talking about. You're only going to know what I'm talking about right now if you've been in some battles, okay? If you've, if you've just played around in the shallow pool of your relationship with God and have never stepped out in trust and in faith to go out into the deep waters in your walk with God and what he's called you to do, you're not really gonna have much reference for what I'm talking about right now. It's only those people that have stepped out in complete trust and in complete faith and in complete obedience to God that have reached this point where you reach the end of yourself and you have to step into another realm of your relationship with him. It's where you reach the very end of your strength that's when you find the beginning of his strength that you operate in. When you've completely died to yourself and it's no longer about you, but it's only about him and what he's able to do in and through you. And when you're working out, you're doing bench press and you, you, you're pumping the weight, you guys that work out out there, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you, you do your reps, and if you do your reps, and you're going to get a good workout, but if you want to go further from time to time, you can't do this all the time because you'll hurt yourself, but from time to time, once you reach a point of failure in your workout, if you push a little bit further, you're able to unlock a level of growth because you're pushing your muscles further than they're able to go. And you can't do it on your own because you're at a point of failure and what you need is somebody to step in and to give you a spot. 
and to help you lift the weight that you can't lift yourself to push you past your threshold to go further than you could go by yourself. This is what I'm talking about here. There's a place in your walk with God where you reach the point of failure and you can't go any further on your own. God steps in and if you're completely dependent upon him, he'll help you push out that extra rep and be that spotter to push you through what you're going through in life. Listen, I wanna encourage you. Don't try to do everything on your own. Trust God, rely on him, let him be that strength to push you through. And when you feel like giving up, when you're at that point of failure, that's when you have to lean into your relationship with God like never before to let him make a way where there is no way, to let him knock down the walls before you, to let him part the Red Sea so you can walk across on the dry ground, to watch him drop the giant in front of you. It's those times when you reach the end of yourself that you're able to see God do what you couldn't do on your own. And that's when the fun stuff begins to happen. So if you want to live a life where you're not tapping out, where you're following through and you're finishing the race that God has called you to, make sure that you're not just operating in your strength. Make sure that you learn to operate in the Lord's strength. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes it like this. He says, it, Paul was going through this time in his life where he had this thing called a thorn in the flesh. Nobody really knows what this is, but it was bugging the snot out of Paul, apparently. He just kept complaining to God about it and asking God over and over again, you gotta, you gotta get this thing done. You gotta heal me. You gotta restore. You gotta, you gotta deal with this thorn in the flesh. Please take it away from me. And God just kept saying, no, 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 no. And then finally, God says this to Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. He's not looking for you to be tough. He's looking for you to be submitted. He's looking for you to be obedient. He's looking for you to be dependent upon him. Paul writes, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties, because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. It's like a paradox in a way. That when I'm in that point of weakness, when I just can't go any further, when I can't do any more, that's when I'm the strongest because I'm the most reliant on the power of my God to see me through. So you've got to decide that that why is bigger than the opposition that you're going to face. And you've got to learn to depend on God's power and not your own strength. And this is the third thing that I've learned along the way. And this is probably good news for some of you guys out there. That it's never too late to get back up. It's never too late to get back up. Because this is what I know in life, you're human, I'm human. And probably along the way, we're going to stumble and we're going to fall. We're going to make mistakes. Hopefully, we're going to learn from those mistakes so that we don't repeat them in life. But odds are, given enough time, we're going to do something wrong. We're going to jack something up, whether in what we're trying to do in the world or in our relationship with God. People aren't perfect. 
and we're going to make mistakes. I know I've, I've made plenty in my life. But what I've learned is this, is that every time I've gotten back up, God has always been there to help me along the way. He's never turned his back on me, not one time. And he's not turning his back on you right now. You might be looking at a financial storm right now that's just absolutely taking you out. And I want to encourage you to get back up and keep pressing on. You might be getting a report from the doctor right now that's not what you want to hear. I want to encourage you to get back up and keep pressing on. Some of you, you're dealing with frustration in your marriage right now and in your family situations, and it's come to light like never before because you're having to spend more time around the house now than you used to have. Now you don't have any distractions. Now you don't have places to go. Now you're having to be faced with the reality of what you've got at home. And I want to encourage you to get back up and to try again and give God one more opportunity to heal and to restore and to mend those relationships in your life. Maybe you're out there and, and you just feel like you've blown it over and over and over again. And if there was a highlight reel of your life, it would just be failure after failure after failure after failure. I want to encourage you to get back up one more time because God has got a track record, if you look all through the Bible, of using people that have made big mistakes, of using people that have blown it in their relationship with him, of using people that were unqualified to do what God had called them to do, but he was able to restore them after their failure and the days after that were greater than the days before. Listen, God has not given up on you yet. And if there's still breath in your body, if you're listening to me speak right now, he has not given up on you. And there is still opportunity for you to do something powerful with your life for the kingdom of God. You might be out there right now and you're dealing with depression. And right now you're on the lowest of lows you've ever been on before in your life. Let me encourage you. Listen, don't listen to your feelings. Don't listen to your emotions. You know what's coming after the end of every low. There's a high. Weather the storm. Stick it out through the valley. Ignore all that stuff. Don't live by what you feel. Live by what you know because you know that high is coming back. Don't give up. Let God walk you through the valley that you're going through right now. God is a God of second chances. Praise God he's a God of second chances. He's not just a God of second chances though, but third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. He, as long as you're willing to get back up, he'll help you dust off and get your feet set underneath you so that you can finish the race that he's called you to. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't tap out. Don't tap out because he's not done with you yet. Let me pray for you this morning.